when I initially started this podcast, I promised myself that one quarter of the content that I cover would be health related. Uh, the last time I published anything health related seems to have been May 2022 when I did the Live Longer series. And yeah, that's about uh, reflective of how much I look after my own health. So I'm trying to fix that again. Um, and this week, we're going to focus on some health related items that I have had uh, stacked up for a while and particularly focus on obesity and eating because that is uh, the current struggle that I have. Um, all of you know probably my uh, infatuation with Levels. I've had a Levels CGM monitor. Here's a co-founder of Levels on the Barry Weiss podcast. Yes, a very unusual podcast, which is usually political. Um, but I think uh, the topic of, of the, the, obes the obesity epidemic and um, you know getting control of your eating, I think, is um, never more important. I think they make some really strong points towards the end, which I'll comment on. Huge numbers of Americans say they want to be healthier and they want to lose weight. And I am one of those people. Like I am the literal picture of the American yo-yo dieter. I think I paid dues for Weight Watchers just as like a personal tax for the past decade of my life. Now I'm on Noom. Then I try, you know, keto for a day and then intermittent fasting for a week. Like I am this person and it kind of works, but you know, it's a struggle, you know, and part of it is that you just get so many different messages. Like, here's the secret key. It's this fasting solution. It's going to cost you $500 from Goop, or you need to exercise more, or your portion control is way too big, or eat intuitively, or stop eating carbs, which for me is kind of a non-starter. So like for the person like me who makes a New Year's resolution every freaking year and keeps coming up short, what should we be doing? Really? Like what are the top three or four things that people like me should be doing right now to shed the excess weight and get to better metabolic health? First of all, I will just say like, totally hear you have a ton of empathy because I'm, I've been there too. Like I have weighed 220 pounds twice in my life. Like, and wow. have, yeah. And like have lost wow. that weight twice. Um, and so I get it. Like I've been there in healthy ways, you know, but yeah, I was, I was in eighth grade and was very large. Um, do you think that that's like the root cause for you of your passion for this topic? It definitely had an impact on me because at 14, I basically just started reading a ton of books and just made this decision that I was going to change my life. And those, those experiences really helped me realize that like, okay, circumstances make a big difference. Food is powerful. And if I don't stay on top of this or vigilant, I will keep slipping, you know, and then I, I went to residency. It's, you know, and I basically, I was 26 when I started residency, um, as a surgical resident and I'm working over 80 hours a week and I'm doing life and death surgery type stuff, like in the middle of the night, you know, I'm sleeping only about four nights a week. Cause I'm on call all the time. It's just a completely crazy time. And I didn't gain weight again, but my health totally fell apart. I went from this like vibrant, amazing, creative, all-star medical student to, I was dealing with anxiety and depression. I had cystic acne all over my jawline. I got chronic pain in my neck. My left hand went numb. I had IBS. I could, you know, literally my gut function was a disaster. I, and it was just to be in the operating room and feel like your, your gut is just about to explode 15 hours a day. And I mean, 
just thinking about like, wow, my gut can't do what it's supposed to do right now. And it, it, so that all that happened. And then it was fascinating because halfway through residency, you do a six month research block where you're not seeing patients. You're working a nine to five job in a lab. It's like everything's under control again. No life and death situations, no emergency tracheotomies in the middle of the night, which I was doing all the time, you know, um, within one month of being back on my shit with exercise, sleep, less stress, cooking my own food, actually seeing the light of day during daytime. Cause I was in the hospital from 6am to like 9pm every day, not seeing the sunlight, you know, controlling, buying my food at the farmer's market, not, not eating cafeteria food. Every single symptom went away in one month, anxiety, mood, acne, IBS, neck pain disappeared. So I'm like, okay, like this all is happening while I'm having these observations around the healthcare system being, you know, poorly incentivized. And I think having that intellectual plus personal experience together really solidified things for me and just realized that like, why aren't we talking? Why am I, if, if, if sleeping more could help me this much, why have I never spoken to a patient in my entire career about their sleep? And then you go on PubMed and you look at like sleep and chronic disease and it's like, thousands and thousands and thousands of paper. They're not in the guidelines, of course, you know, because the sleep industry isn't like funding <laughs> our guidelines. But, you know, it's like I can't, I couldn't just be part of that charade. And then I think that one of the biggest things that evangelized me was, you know, just last year, you know, my mom essentially died very suddenly of metabolic disease. And it was fascinating to me to look back at her history when she had me in her late 30s, I was 11 pounds, 9 ounces. So I was what was called a fetal macrosomic baby, meaning big body. Over 8.5 or so pounds is called fetal macrosomia. And it's so funny in America because we actually like celebrate big babies. We're like, oh, it's like it was like a bragging <laughs> right when I was a kid. I was like, oh, yeah, I was 11 pounds, 9 ounces. And it's like there is so much research about how that portends metabolic issues in the mom, but also metabolic issues in the baby. And of course I went on to have metabolic issues. I was 220 pounds in eighth grade. And she then, so that, so no one mentioned that to her. Maybe this means you have insulin. And of course you think about insulin. We talked about how it's a growth hormone. Well, if insulin is high, it grows cancer, it grows fat cells, it grows babies. Okay. So no one mentioned to her that maybe she had some insulin issues, some blood sugar issues, whatever. Flash forward. She develops a lot of the standard American diseases, hypertension, high cholesterol, blood sugar issues. Again, multiple different specialists, different medications. No one's sort of talking to her about what to do. And then she actually got really on top of things and kind of was reading a lot. And, 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 but I think it was honestly just too late. She ultimately developed abdominal pain, got a CT scan, had widely metastatic pancreatic cancer and died two weeks later. You know, pancreatic cancer, you know, it, it is... It, the, the risk factors for it are blood sugar issues, obesity, smoking, you know, all the things that lead to, to metabolic issues. So it's really a cancer that's directly driven by metabolism. So I looked back at that situation and I'm like, no one, no one looked at her as a person and put together all these clues and this journey. And, you know, they got exactly what they wanted from her. She went to a bunch of different specialists she had two weeks of insane healthcare costs at the end of her life. She was on tons of, you know, medications and her for between age like 50 to 72 when she died, you know, and had she at age 40 when she had me uh, learned that she had insulin resistance and learned how to fix it at that time, none of, none of that would have happened. So anyways, that's a total tangent, but 
you know, it's just, it's those type of stories, both in myself, my mother, people around me, you know, that really just, how do we serve these, you know, people to actually be empowered to understand how to help themselves and not just be part of this treadmill, um, towards chronic illness that essentially all of us are on if we're not being extremely vigilant about our day-to-day choices, uh, and educating ourselves about them. So I guess at that point we can now go into what some of those things are, but happy to talk. Yeah. I was going to say as someone who has radically shifted her own personal behavior in the past, you know, what are the three or four things that those of us who want to be in better health should be doing right now, even if they go against some of the messaging that we're hearing from mainstream culture? The biggest one by far is to eat real, unprocessed, clean food. If people do that, 90% of the issues will go away. And what I mean by that is food that looks like it was in its original form, you know, vegetables that have not been gone to a factory and ground into flours and dried and mixed with corn and turned into a chip, like an actual cooked vegetable that doesn't have a bunch of crap on it. You know, eating whole food fats as opposed to just tons and tons of refined ultra-processed seed oils. So like you can get fat from avocados and olives and Uh, coconut and meat and eggs and whole food forms of fat surrounded by, you know, all the things that are meant to be within nature. But most of the fat we're eating today is industrialized, ultra-processed, easily oxidizable seed oils that are really bad molecular information for our body. So eating just whole, real, unprocessed, clean food as much as possible, which means avoiding things that comes out of bags and boxes and packages and that have more than a couple ingredients. And there's caveats to this. Like for instance, like one of my favorite snacks is flackers, which are like flax crackers. I mean, these are literally, they're in a bag, they have a label, right? They have a few ingredients, but it's literally organic flax seeds, apple cider vinegar, and spices. So it's not like don't eat any packaged foods, but like make sure it has a couple ingredients. Is a good rule of thumb to I don't know if this was a Michael Pollan line or someone else, but just to stick the, to the periphery of the grocery store. In other words, don't go to the aisles in the middle with what I think of as the fun stuff. I got to train myself to not think of that as the fun stuff, but go to the produce department, go to the fish and meat department. And that's basically it. That's right. Yeah. And I think what's a really fun thing to note is that if you do that for a few months, you will your brain will change to love those foods. That We know that. And your gut will actually, your microbiome population will change and they will literally produce byproducts that make you like the food more. So you are investing. I'm kind of like, just try to just like, eat gavage or I'm joking, but like with these healthy, unprocessed whole foods for like a few months, knowing that it's an investment in changing the reward circuitry in your brain, your satiety and hunger hormones, your microbiome to actually have you genuinely love the food, which is why nutrition people are so annoying. Like myself, it's like, oh my God, I love broccoli. It's so good. It's like, it's not just being annoying. Like people actually do change their perception of these things, which I think is actually quite empowering. And there's fMRI studies to actually show this. Um, So eating real food is number one. The second piece would be movement for sure. 
the more you move the body, the more you're just soaking up these damaging metabolic things like excess glucose from the bloodstream. You're using it. You're converting fuel to energy as opposed to converting fuel to fat. And there's really interesting research that actually shows that it's better to move more throughout the day than to just have one workout at the end of the day. So for people listening, like even setting a little timer for every 30 minutes and doing 15 air squats or walking around your house for two minutes will actually lower insulin and glucose levels more than the one activity. And it makes sense. Like if you're constitutively activating these pathways throughout the body, even for short periods, you are a active body as opposed to a sedentary body that has a spurt of, of activity. And so just my, you know, my, my chief of staff and I will often like, if we're working on zoom together, just like after we conclude a point, we'll just get up and do a few air squats together on zoom. It's like, not, it's fun, you know, and it's not like a huge, it's not hard. And then the third thing would be sleep. I would say we're sleeping like on average, like a couple hours less per day than we were historically. And sleep is this magical time when our body actually clears out a lot of the damaging stuff that builds up in the body that causes cellular dysfunction, clears it out, does some of that processing. Um, Our growth hormone is secreted. A lot of hormones actually get secreted at night. And we also have a lot of genetic pathways in the body that are called like clock genes, meaning that they're activated at different times. So if we restrict sleep or if we are sleeping in really erratic times, we actually, that's information to the body that something's wrong. Like what, what's up? Why, why is this happening? You know, and it changes our genetic expression. So by being more regular and consistent about sleep and getting enough sleep, we're just setting up our hormones, our genetic expression, all these things. And we're cleaning out the trash of what builds up in the body all day, all of which is of course good for our brain and bodies. And so those would be like, I think the three biggest pillars Other things, so on my sort of list of the big things, which is really like seven seven big ones, it would be the food, the movement, the sleep, the stress management. So just making sure that you're figuring out ways to cope with stress. Light exposure is another one. We want to make sure that we're getting sunlight in the morning, dark at night. Again, that feeds into our genetic expression of these clock genes. Environmental toxins, avoid them. Eat as much organic food as you can. Try to avoid packaged foods are essentially concentrators of pesticides. Cereal has some of the highest pesticide concentration of any food, like 15 times more than what is the acceptable limit for the body. So like avoid processed foods and try and do organic if you can. Support the microbiome, of course. Um, So not using excess unnecessary antibiotics that kill the microbiome, not using excess painkillers like Advil, which actually really damages the microbiome, supporting the microbiome with fiber and colorful foods that help it thrive. And so those are some of the big ones, environmental toxins, light exposure, microbiome support, managing stress, getting good sleep, moving, and food. And you don't have to do all of them all the time, but those are the levers that translate into functional physiology in the body and have unequivocal evidence base around them. So you leave the path that you're on. You decide, I don't want to be a part of this. At first, you didn't have a plan, but now you very much have a plan. You you co-founded this health startup, just how I know about you, called Levels. 
that's raised something like $50 million already from some of the most premier venture capitalists in places like Silicon Valley. I read somewhere that Levels had a waiting list of more than 200,000 people. So for people who haven't heard of it, what is Levels? What are you building? And how does it solve the problems we've been talking about in this conversation? Simply put, Levels shows you as an individual exactly how food affects your health in real time. So this allows you to have, for the first time, closed-loop biofeedback on what you're putting in your mouth and how it's affecting your body. Closing that feedback loop from what used to be a really open system where you like would eat a bunch of stuff and then not know what your cholesterol or your glucose or whatever was for like a year from now to a immediate system. And we do this by giving people a sensor that's called a continuous glucose monitor that they wear on their arm and it's running a lab test about every 10 minutes, 24 hours a day, sending that information to your smartphone and showing you exactly how your body's responding in terms of blood sugar to everything you're doing, what you're eating. But not only what you're eating, what your exercise is doing, what sleep deprivation did your glucose, et cetera, how stress is affecting your glucose. So closing the loop. And our mission at Levels is lofty. It's to reverse the metabolic disease epidemic, which we talked about affects 93% of Americans. And it's by empowering individuals to understand their own health data and how their choices are affecting their health in real time. It's kind of like the ethos of like the whole earth catalog and that kind of 60s counterculture phenomenon of, like I said before, like the hippie things that are now clearly were correct, but marrying them with some of the most sort of leading edge technology. Yeah. And like, I'm a hippie in some ways. Like I want to be in the backcountry backpacking. I like barely know how to use my iPhone. Like I don't want to be strapped to a sensor my whole life. It's not, it wasn't my goal to be this like bionic person who has a sensor on. However, we are up against monumental challenges that are new, that are intentional and that are keeping us ignorant and in the dark about our own bodies and which serves industry that does not have our best interest as its goal or business model. Therefore, what gets me up in the morning is the idea of subverting that whole process and giving information directly to people that lets them understand this key aspect of their health, this trunk of the tree of so many pain points they're dealing with and manage it, learn about it, own it, have agency around it. And just to just to back up, like I'm not saying that managing your glucose, keeping it more stable throughout the day, getting rid of that roller coaster is the only thing you need to do to have optimal health. Right now, it is the only continuous biosensor that is available on the market. And it's, as we've talked about in this episode, it's an incredible biomarker for understanding how things are going in the body. Because as blood sugar becomes more erratic, we know that's a big problem. But I'm, but I'm certainly not suggesting that this is like the only biomarker we need to care about in American healthcare. But it's a really important one, and it's one we have access to. So what my company does is give people access to this technology that was formerly totally not something they would be able to access. It used to only be available for people with severe diabetes to manage their condition. And our premise is that if you can give this to people 40 years earlier on the start of this trajectory help people learn themselves how to eat properly. It's not about dogma or telling people exactly what to eat. It's about people learning what to eat based on their own feedback, how their own individual body responds to food, because everyone responds differently. 
I mean, ideally people wouldn't have to wear these forever because they'd learn these principles and would be able to kind of move, move on. Although I will say I've been wearing one for three years and I'm still learning a ton. I do think in the world in which we are systemically disempowered to essentially be dumb about our own bodies, I really love the idea of moving into a more empowered, individually educated system where we also move past food marketing. I think this technology has the potential to make food marketing obsolete and also to create some really interesting class action lawsuits. Because if you start seeing that what's on a box, like this is heart healthy, oh, these Honey Nut Cheerios are heart healthy. And then you start seeing that hundreds of thousands of people are having an 80-point glucose response to that food, which is huge, that's going to create some new conversations. And could we move to a post-marketing food world where you're actually the marketing comes from within. Who cares what the Instagram influencer says about what's healthy or not? You can just be like, actually, I have all the data right here. I'm good. Like, this is working for me. Thanks so much for your really strong, violent opinion <laughs> about whatnot. <laughs> but like, my physiology is good. So like, thank you so, so much. Like, that's that's what's happening. And anyone who wants to attack me about what I say about food or this or that and what I'm doing, it's like, here's all my data the conversation's over, you know? And so I think each person being able to do them for that themselves could be a really interesting change the whole influencer landscape and the food wars and the food dogma, which I'm very excited about. So that was Dr. Casey Means, the co-founder of Levels. And I really like this concept of closing the open loop. The open loop being when you eat something, you don't actually know what it does to you until much later or you take it on faith because some label says that it's healthy for you or good for you um, and I think there's enough interpersonal variation in responses to food that it makes sense for personalized healthcare. Um, I did look into getting a CGM maybe about five to seven years ago and everyone was like no you don't need it if, you don't, if you're not a diabetic um, but I think the consensus is changing a lot. Uh, it makes sense that you want to get it earlier before you get diabetes rather than after. Um, and then also you want to close your own loop and, and get some info. Um, so I've had it for on and off for six months now. And I do have some sense of like my, my response. Um, I think the most effective period was when it was coupled with an accountability program. And what you had to do with this was you had to send your glucose levels every single day to uh, someone running the program. Uh, so for me, it was Justin Maris who um, uh, did this sort of levels program uh, a couple of years ago. And you deposit with him $600 up front. And for every single day that you, that you don't exceed the high levels of glucose, you get back um, $20 or some, 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 something like that. And so there comes to be a cost and, and a sort of shaming element to your eating, and uh, I, I thought that was a really good idea. So I don't know if I'll do it again. Um, I thought it was a little bit stressful, particularly if you have uh, some kind of social calendar, but I think that's kind of the point. Like, your body doesn't care about your social calendar. You have to make healthy choices no matter what. 